This is the Reclaiming Families podcast. It is our goal to expose the lies that undermine, erode, and destroy the family while discovering and reclaiming God's design for gender, marriage, family, and sexuality. So join us for open conversation about the struggles and joys of reclaiming families. All right, welcome to another episode of Reclaiming Families. We are very excited about this episode, but before we get started, I wanted to say, um, check us out on Instagram and Facebook, and uh, we would love some uh, reviews of this podcast, and uh, we, you know, five stars would be great to us. We Maybe six. Complain. Maybe six. But uh, you know, one of the reasons I love this podcast is because you know, our family is like, we're just growing. You know, we don't have it all put together and mm, and uh, we're learning what it looks like to reclaim our family. And this is a really good podcast to talk about, um, you know, family issues with addiction and pain and recovery. And and so, uh, yeah, he'll go ahead and uh, bring us on in. So tonight we have a special guest with us and... Um, this is a special guest that we're excited about because we have known Ashley Woods since uh, college. We were a part of campus outreach with her. Um, she was one of the student leaders when we were involved as students in the ministry. And then I worked briefly on staff with her husband, Tyler. Um, and so Ashley has recently written a book called Tell Me Quickly, which is a, a lot of a collection of poetry about um, kind of some trials that she's had in the last few years through uh, being a mother and some struggles with addiction and pain and recovery from that. And so we're really excited to hear from her and to get to, to see what it looks like to be a mom going through the process of recovery and having a gospel-centered lens with it all. So we'd like to welcome Ashley Woods to Reclaiming Families. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, we're glad. Um, we're glad you're on. But we would love if you just want to tell us a little bit about yourself and, um, yeah, give the listeners sure, a little I, bit of who you are. I live in Murfreesboro now, and I've been married to Tyler for a little over eight years. And we have two little boys, Bo and Zeke. Bo is five, and Zeke is one. Awesome. So, yeah, and I, my degree was in engineering at Tech. That's the school that we were at, and now I do structural design. And Tyler does lumber sales, so we're both in the construction industry and always talking about the lumber prices and everything. <laughs> right now. That's right. Yeah, so you guys probably aren't planning to build a house anytime soon with the lumber. Yeah, no, we are not. We are not. That's right. Well, you know, Ashley. So we just mentioned that you just put out a book called "Tell Me Quickly." And I don't, I, I don't know, you know, we just want to jump right in. If you want to tell us kind of what led you to wanting to put that book out there for everybody. Yeah, it started out, I've been writing for years now. Like I had a blog for several years and um, it's been something just therapeutic for me. And especially whenever I got into recovery for personal addiction issues. But I, um, as I was writing shorter pieces, I started to share those. Those were a little bit easier for me to just share with other people. And as I saw it helping other people as well, I decided to compile a lot of those short writings so that hopefully other people 
could help get healing too. Yeah. Because it's like a lot of your book, it really is, you know, just a paragraph or, you know, three to five lines on a page that are really um, short, quick, to the point, but really profound truth, um, of, of maybe from the, of like just gospel truth or, you know, just things going on in your own heart. So it sounds like this started off as just like your own journaling and then you put it out there. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And I tried to take, so if I had like two pages of a journal with a lot of really complex emotions and issues, I tried to condense it into one sentence. And my goal in the book was to end every single one with hope or help. Hope or help. Okay. Yeah. So it didn't just end and because I've had, you know, in order to work through the process of some really sad or overwhelming emotions, I don't always get to the end of hope and help at the end of each day. Sometimes that Mm -hmm. takes months, years, whatever. Um, But I only use the things that I had already come to the conclusion of hope or help on that issue and wanted to share that. That's really cool. So when you started journaling this on your own, before you even made a decision to put it out there for, you know, the world to read, can you give us a little bit of insight into your story and um, what even led you to the point of starting to, to journal these things in your own life? Yeah, I'll start just even like back in childhood. I came from a broken family. My dad abandoned me whenever I was young. He was someone who might would float in and out of my life unpredictably, um, but he would always abandon me over and over again. And um, I had other childhood traumas, like being sexually assaulted. Um, so just hard things in childhood. Fast forward to being 18, um, there were some things in my life where I was trying to answer spiritual questions for myself. And so I started reading the Bible for the first time. And it was literally through God's word that he changed my heart and my life and I became a Christian. So then that was at college time, which is when you guys got to know me. So then I found campus outreach and I grew so much. But one of the things was I, I felt like, you know, I'm this new creation now. I don't have to worry about my past. I don't have Mm. to talk about my past. Um, again, cause it was just negative to me and I was ready to just move forward with something positive and that worked for me for a while. Um, and maybe that was God's grace. He wanted me to just have some years where I didn't have to deal with, uh, trauma and things like that Yeah, where I could just grow. And then I married and that started really catch up to me and a lot of unhealed trauma started to really take its toll on me. And so I had to start sifting through a lot of that. And it was overwhelming. I was young. I got married when I was 22. So there was just a lot of immaturity, a lot of not good coping mechanisms. Um, I didn't have a lot of good tools for dealing with those things. And so I just kind of spiraled in my adult years. And I went into severe depression. Um, We went off staff at ministry. We moved cities and I've really struggled. Um, I came out of depression a little bit where I felt like I was okay. Um, So then we had our first child, Bo, and I decided to quit my job and stay at home that first year. And then I got caught up in addiction and I spiraled off again. Um, And that led me to getting help, not only in counseling, but in recovery. And that's where I found so many of these 
daunting questions that I had in my life and so much of that unhealed trauma that I had been working on for years in my 20s really came together for me while I was in recovery. So um, that led up to me writing some of these things. Like these have been huge things for me. And if somebody's in the middle of something, it took me a whole lot of time and pain to get this little piece of wisdom. If I could give it to somebody who might be four years behind me or whatever, yeah. then I, w- I want to do that. That's cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm super excited about that. I really appreciate you being honest and, and um, open about that because I really think there's like this false idea that, you know, the Christian life should be just put together and, you, you know, no struggles and and it's just so far from the truth. It's so far from reality. And um, it's like, in one way or another, I would say that we're all, you know, go walking through some kind of addiction or, or false beliefs or, um, you know, hurts and trauma and trials. You know, it's, you know, somebody from, you know, there's a huge spectrum, right? But uh, that's what I've just noticed, like in my own life, Hillary's life. Our past just follows us. We, you cannot just shed it off. Like you, almost, you have to confront it, and you have to deal with it. And then, you know, really, you know, it's like I don't see how people, apart from God's grace, can confront it, deal with it, and experience the redemption of it. And uh, and I know, like, there's some counseling techniques and stuff, but it's uh, I don't know. I've just seen like, you know, the Christian life is about redemption from your pain and not necessarily pain just going away. Like it's really confronting it and dealing with it. And, and uh, so I, I really appreciate that. And I, I really, the book is really cool. And uh, you know, some of the little lines of quotes and, and, uh, and so, yeah, I just, uh, I appreciate that. And just the honesty of, of that as we, we go through it. Yeah, thanks. I hope everyone heard that. Men <laughs> like it too. But yeah. I'm going to quote Randy Little. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Not just for women. That's right. <laughs> but, you know, kind of what he was saying, it's interesting. You know, you said you became a Christian and it's like, okay, I'm a new creation, which is true. You know, you are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. But it's almost like you said you were living in this, like ignoring the past. But then you got married and it's like the past can't be ignored anymore because you come in and you have two broken people that are doing life together and um, it just muddies things up and, and you have all of these expectations coming in and, and a lot of times it's not what the reality is. And then you also mentioned that the second season was right around the time that, that your, your first son was born. And so um, I can imagine that a lot of that had to do with having certain expectations and then reality being a little bit different. And, and so could you talk us a little bit through what that see, what those seasons looked like as you were kind of realizing, okay, I'm depressed and, and this is what was leading up to this. And that's what yeah. Of- and speaking of, <clears throat> okay, yeah, I'm depressed. That took me like nine months to even figure out. <laughs> so, um, I feel like finding those words for things are really important. Finding the word addiction took me about a year. So um, that is just a side note. But the expectations thing, yeah, again, I was young. I got married at 22. And people get married younger, but, you know, I didn't have a rate of wild 
getting married at 22 and had my first child at 25. I wasn't around kids growing up, and I was the first of my core friend group to get married and have kids. And so my expectations were off, definitely. But it did seem that what were hard transitions for most people, such as parenthood, like I think that that is hard on some level for everyone. What is normally hard for all people felt unmanageable for me. And so whenever I was staying at home with my son, I had a great group of stay-at-home moms that I was hanging out with all the time. I mean, they really brought so much sanity into my life, but I could tell that I was struggling much worse than they were. Hmm. So that is where that link to unhealed trauma came from. And is how that connects to expectations, I guess, would be um, for marriage. I had, I had a lot of trauma around men. And so I was very black and white with men. You were either safe or you weren't. And it stayed that way forever. And so um, I thought that I had chosen someone who had characteristics of a safe person as Mm. far as my immature mind thought. Right. And when I found out that Tyler was not exactly who I thought he was, which just meant he was imperfect. Right. My mind wanted to toss him into this unsafe pile, Mm. but I was so black and white in my traumatized mind that you couldn't come out of being from that unsafe pile. Once you were in it, you stayed there forever. And so learning how to, to realize that he is a safe person, but he's just imperfect was very hard for me with trauma around assault and abandonment and all of those issues because Tyler is a safe person, but he doesn't make mistakes. So that was one of the marriage expectations Mm. issues. And then with parenthood, probably marriage and parenthood intimacy has been super hard for me. That sort of closeness, um, since I've already talked about my dad, that's just an easy example, but because he's coming in and out of my life, my heart was growing so cold towards close relationships. So to have to take care of a child and give them things that I didn't receive was very difficult. Mm -hmm. And I could not, you know, wrap my mind around how to do that. And so um, another example would be that my son, Bo, he's five now. So the kind of thoughts that would come through my head are like, Whenever I was five, there was an incident where my dad had pushed me out of his car, thrown my suitcase out of his sunroof, and drove off and left me alone. And so when I would look at my five-year-old son, I would remember a memory like that, and I would think, oh, you know, like, that's the kind of stuff that's coming back to me, not just, oh, you know, that was, um, I was, like, playing and camping or whatever, whenever I was five years old, it would see these traumatic events and so that was very unsettling and and overwhelming yeah as a parent so um yeah I, I think that that unhealed trauma played a lot in addition to normal unrealistic expectations yeah and I think you put words to something that I mean the traumatized brain just thinks differently you know having those flashbacks and things like that And so that's something that probably catches us off guard, but you don't realize how your brain has been reprogrammed through the environment that you've grown up in. So you have that on one hand, but then with marriage, you're, you probably put words to something that so many people experience. I mean, that's even, 
I might not word it exactly the same way, but a lot of what we experience where, especially uh, as a new believer, you come in and you see these godly marriages around you and you don't really know the ins and outs of the marriage, but you think that you do where it's like, okay, you have this husband that leads so well and, you know, is like leading his family and, and pursuing and planning date nights and, you know, not struggling with lust at all. And, you know, just all like perfect, perfect, perfect. And then you get married and you realize like, crap, that's not the reality. Like, Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you know, it's like Absolutely. they're, there's just a lot more disappointment. And then when you've had a past where people have abandoned you, the the next thing is like, okay, well, he did this one thing differently than I expected. Um, that means he's going to leave me like, or even like my, you know, like my own stuff or, or anyone's own stuff. You can just so easily take that to be like, I'm not lovable. Therefore he's going to leave. And so it, it's like you play it up to just expecting them to leave putting them in that unsafe category when it's like, that's not going through their mind at all. And so I think you probably verbalized something that a lot of people experience in that. And, and you know, it's, I like how you're, you're saying it's black and white. And I think too, uh, black and white, you know, it's kind of how my personality is, you know? And, and so I see how, uh, well, I was just thinking like, It'd be so easy in today's world, especially with things like pornography and stuff like that, that have shaped so much of men's lives and what they think. And women's. And women's. And and it can easily, and it just, it impacts your marriage, and it can easily toss you into the unsafe category. You know, with the, um, and so it's like, if you're looking for a husband that is, that loves you and adores you, faithful to you, right, and is a safe person with you, and all of a sudden you throw in that, like maybe a history of pornography or something like that and lust for this and that attractions for somebody else. And, or just someone who's not thoughtful. Or somebody who's not thoughtful, yeah. And, and it just, it you know, I, I, it's a disaster. And and uh, I think if you're coming into marriage thinking that, you know, it is just an easy ride where your husband's always going to adore you and always going to be safe, then... Uh, yeah, it's just a, it should be the case. And, you know, by God's grace, you know, redeemed to that. But, you know, it's uh, just fallen, broken people. You know, as I am, and, and I would say, you know, every man I know is. Sure. So you have all that going on. And on the top of it, you know, in the ministry that we were all a part of, you were... I mean, you were one of the, like, and so was Tyler. Y'all were some of the main leaders of that ministry, always um, leading women. That was Tyler's full-time job. Um, and so, gosh, I can imagine that coming from that kind of ministry experience into this season where marriage is now difficult, you were on staff with a college ministry, but now... You're needing to transition off staff. You've put these words to it. You know, I'm depressed. I'm having an addiction. I can imagine there being some real shame connected with that. 
and believing a lot of lies. So maybe not, but what's your experience with that, Ben? There was shame in that. I don't know that anything could match the shame I felt about being a mother mm. and struggling with those things. Yeah. Um, and I haven't quite thought about what that is. Uh, maybe just the closeness of that relationship and, but, um, because probably the closer the relationship is, the more the shame could increase. But with being a leader, I do think that if you are set apart in any way, or you're used to being the one that's helping other people, then to be in a position where you need to be helped is, can be awkward and feel shameful. Um, and so that's something that God's had to change a lot in me because I felt like as a leader, um, and during that time, I wasn't, I didn't have, you know, all of this stuff going on. So I, I unknowingly, I didn't know that it was bad, but I could lead from a place of strength because I didn't, my life wasn't in an upheaval. Mm. But through this, God has shown me how bad that is to lead yeah. from strength and how important it is to lead from weakness and to talk about our issues and our struggles so that we can't put ourselves on a pedestal and we don't allow anybody else to put us on a pedestal. Yeah. Um, first of all, because that takes the glory away from God, but second of all, because it makes us unreachable mm. and unhelp or unable to receive help because somehow we're, you know, up here and everybody else is down here. So, yeah. um, you know, people can't get to us and we, but we're just equal from everybody else. And, um, yeah, I also, you know, if you are a leader and you're up on a pedestal and you fail or make a mistake, which is inevitable, that fall is going to be a lot harder and worse, um, than it needs to be. Um, so if I'm just walking and I trip over my own feet and I fall versus if I'm standing up on a ladder and I fall off the ladder, that hurts so much more. And that's really unnecessary and not how God intended it. And so we can recover a lot faster if we're just on level ground from other people making mistakes, just like everybody else. So um, I think I got off on a tangent, but there was shame for me in being a leader, but there was more shame in being a mother yeah. that was struggling with addiction and mental health issues. And you said you haven't quite been able to pinpoint necessarily that shame with being a mom quite like you have the, the... I think it probably has to do with the, the um, amount of dependency my kids have on me and the intimacy and then just the level of genetics, like how I could pass potentially anxiety or something like that. I think that those fears creep up more, but I have seen that if I'm facing my issues, then I feel more equipped to help my kids if they struggle with the same things and that helps take some of the shame out of it. So I'm an anxious person. One of my kids might end up being an anxious person, you know, people. And, but if I have tools for myself, it's at least a starting place for them to where we can talk about things. It may not work exactly for them because they're their own person, but it's less scary if I'm working on myself. Because if they're seeing you fight, then that's being discipled into them from the beginning. So they know like, Hey, yeah. this is a struggle, but God is good in it. I can trust the Lord. And I've seen my, how my mom does that. And so I can do that too. Yeah. And 
um, last summer, my son, Bo, we were camping and he fell in a campfire and he got second degree burns all over his arm from his elbow to his hand. And because I've been in counseling so much, um, the stigma has really gone for me personally. But because I had done all that work, it was a thought in my head that, hey, this seems like it could be a potentially traumatic event. I'm going to get him into counseling and just let him talk about it and just see. And that was just such a benefit from doing my own work because I did do that and took him to do that. And had I not done my own work, that wouldn't have even been a thought or a tool to help him. That's awesome. That's good. So this is kind of switching gears a little bit, but you've talked a little bit about the recovery process. What is can you explain like what has that looked like for you? Yeah, I didn't know what recovery even was <laughs> until yeah. probably five years ago. So sometimes I talk about recovery knowing that people have no idea what I'm talking about. But um, when I say recovery, it's for addiction. It's um, 12 step anonymous programs. And the easiest one that people know is AA. So um it's all, you know, the Christian version would be Celebrate Recovery. Right. Uh, so for me, my recovery, for the most part, has looked like finding other people that struggle the same way that I do and that they want to get better, and we talk about it over and over and over and over again. <laughs> whatever the issue is, whatever's bringing us the most shame, and that's something I've learned in recovery. Whatever is giving me the most shame, whatever that thing is that I really don't want to say, that's what I lead with in my meeting. And so that's what I'm going to talk about. That's what I'm going to cry about until I don't have any more tears left about it. And I walk all the way through it. And so um, my recovery process is just looks like saying a lot of things out loud to other people who can empathize. You know, I think you know, one of the misconceptions I think I had was – like, okay, yeah, well, it sounds like you just need some, you know, quick counseling, quick recovery, AA, you know, maybe about, I don't know, six weeks at the max, and you should be good, right? And uh, we, you know, but being married, you know, we have family that is, uh, you know, going through, um, you know, addiction, and, and, and then I just start to realize that when they get out and they fail, or they fall back into it, it's almost like, and, and Hillary talked about this in her counseling class. Like that's the, that's kind of the norm. You know, I mean, it's uh, it's not necessarily like, hey, it's uh, that's that's part of the struggle and the fight. So, how long do you think, like, you know, and you might say, hey, it's I'm still fighting today. Yeah, I imagine you would be. You know, and uh, so, I guess yeah. What was like the, was it hey recovery and then started doing a whole lot better and just gradually went good 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 or up and down right you know what was uh what was that process kind of like that is a great question I um for me I've been sober for four years and I have not had a relapse but it could happen tomorrow and I always have to live that way um so for me recovery is a lifelong process and one of the things that keeps that in check for me is watching people come back in after relapsing um the withdrawal process is terrible almost said a different word um and so that can help in some of those times too to just remember how bad the withdrawal is and the chaos that it creates in your family mm-hmm. you know if, um i had a sponsor that told me remember the pain that got got you here and so anytime you know that there's a temptation or whatever it's like 
yeah, you're right. I don't, I don't want to go do that again. Um, but I would say that I was just scared to death the first year, scared sober yeah. the first year. And then, um, and then there are like slips and stuff that happen in my recovery that each time, um, got, I just use that to put me back into my recovery and getting more focused and checking in more with people and reading more if I needed to. Um, and that would be my advice to myself or anybody else is that sometimes you get to decide whether that's going to be a slip or a relapse because I can, you know, have a slip. that's really not a full relapse and shame myself so much that I'm like, who cares? I suck, you know, and then make it a full relapse. Right. It doesn't have to be that way. And that transfers for all of us, as far as, you know, if I have a bad parenting day and I yell at my kids or whatever, it doesn't have to be the whole day. You know, I can right. apologize and I can recorrect that day That's good. and um, it can still be a great day. That's really good. And, you know, you were even saying lead, like earlier, it's like you can lead with what brings you the most shame. And so I can imagine that when you have those slips, that's probably the first thing that you want to be talking to your sponsor or in a meeting about. Um, but yes. side note, so, you know, AA, NA, like those meetings, they kind of have a connotation that comes with them where it's like, oh man, that's like, you know. Really bad people. Yeah. There. And so what would you say to someone that's like you, that's like a normal mom like early 30s or you know just I, I hate to use the word normal because like nobody's normal but you know what I mean when I say that and so for someone who's seemingly like your average person but is struggling with an addiction what would you say to them about um like a 12-step program like NAAA whatever I absolutely had all of those stereotypes and it kept me out of recovery for so long. And I think it's one reason that I'm, I feel like God wants me to be as open as I am because I'm not open about the specifics of my addiction. My kids are young and just all of that stuff, even my own personal sobriety. I'm not ready for that, but um, I feel like God does want me to, to go as far as saying that I'm in these, this program, I'm in recovery because of that stereotype, because it almost kept me from getting help. And I think if people have that stereotype that that's not really for me or I'm not that bad, then they're not going to get the help that they actually really, really need. Yeah. And that they, you know, could give them access to the abundant life that Jesus wants for us. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, in school, I watched the addic addiction videos they had for us where it's like a meth addict with no teeth. And while that is one picture of addiction, it's not a comprehensive picture of addiction. And, um, I did think it was kind of like for like just weird, creepy people. And when I walked in there and that feels, that feels terrible to say, but now I can say I'm, I'm one of those people. And so, um, when I got my first sponsor, I was in awe because she was beautiful. She was such a sweet, funny mom of three in her forties. She was, she could have not just been my sponsor, but a spiritual mentor for me. And she was that. And so, um, yeah, that was one of the big moments where I saw a reflection of somebody that I wanted to be and that looked just like me, a suburban mom. 
So we are in there now that I've been in recovery for years now, there's tons of people. I run into more people that are just like me than somebody who you might think isn't. So, um, yeah, those are all just stereotypes that I hope we can crush. Yeah. Cause like, you know, it's, it's so good to, to say that, like, just like marriage counseling, like we, we'd go to marriage counseling and, you know, we'd been married a year right, at that point. And they're like, why are you going to marriage counseling? It's because we, we both have all these problems. Like we're just not above, you know, all our garbage and, and we're not above, you know, any addiction. Like we, anybody can fall into that and be in that category. And, you know, part of reclaiming families is like, yeah, we, we want to say that, Hey, you might, we're, we're there sometimes like we end up there and, but Hey, we want to, by the grace of God, see people redeemed face this, like to face it and say, be honest. Hey, this is where I am and that's okay. And, uh, and we want to see redemption from it, but you know, it's just, uh, I like it too. Of like, you know, if, uh, just, that's just honesty. And I, I think that's refreshing. You know, it's like, golly, bum, that is so refreshing that we don't have to be something. We really can't be who we are with the struggles we have. And, uh, yeah, I just, I, I really appreciate you being honest like that. Yeah. And this might be a little bit of an ignorant question. And so, you know, but if you, if you were having someone like you that's looking for a home group, um, would you say just go online and find one or did you like filter it in some way to find people like you? Um, yeah, I would say go online. Um, yeah, I did. Um, it's, it's funny. I, whenever I was struggling with addiction, I told you it took me a year to find the word. I was just like Googling a lot of my symptoms and my thoughts during that time. And so, um, yeah, I think like researching whatever it is that somebody's struggling with uh, is the best way to to do it. And I hate to be vague. I just don't want to call out all these different groups, you know, just like because of the anonymity of it. But okay, yeah. Um, there's there's twelve step groups for lots of things, and they're probably near you. And if they're not, they're online, especially during COVID. So there's help. And I wouldn't be surprised if pretty soon there becomes things available for phones and social media. I don't know of it right now, but um, I would say that it's coming or forming. Yeah, and you know that's there are groups for mo like anything that you could be addicted to. There's there's a group for you, so that's good. Um, what were you about to say? Well, we're just gonna ask. Uh... Yeah, have you seen your views of marriage and family be redeemed um, through this process? I love the name of y'all's podcast, Reclaiming Families, because that's been such a big thing for me is, is through all of these issues is really trying, figuring out how to show up for myself. Mm-hmm. And I can't show up for my family unless I'm able to show up for myself and that's been one way to reclaim my family. And I think the intimacy thing is just the biggest issue that I've had. Even in motherhood, I think I've just struggled a lot because that's such a close relationship and the intimacy just makes me freak out. And so the more I heal, the more that I'm able to settle in and 
receive intimacy and give intimacy. Um, I think in ministry, I thought that I could be intimate because I was living, you know, I was engaging in like deep spiritual issues with people, but yeah. And so they couldn't, those deep spiritual relationships couldn't, while they were deep, they couldn't reject me the way that my family could. And, uh, they couldn't abandon me the way my family could. And so they didn't trigger me the way that my family can. Yeah. Um, and so now that I can identify those things and again, like walk through them and heal so that when intimacy comes my way, my body and my heart and my mind don't freak out Mm. and want to run somewhere else, I can stay and I can be settled and I can engage and show up. That's good. And how have you seen like your identity in Christ? Like, Because I know for me, I have a lot of those same fears where it's like, I don't want to be fully open. And I would say, you know, it it feels like Randy and and probably, you know, Ellie too, but she's so little, she's not really rejecting me at this point. But it's like, I feel like I could be rejected by most people and it would be like, eh, whatever. But if it were Randy, then it would be like the absolute most crushing thing. And so to feel rejected by him, even when he hasn't rejected me, is devastating. And it's been a long process for me of like almost having to re-remember my identity in Christ to be able to, I don't know, like for me to almost to fully love. And so I don't know if that makes sense, but have you experienced anything like that or what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I had an identity in Christ that I knew, but the roots went real deep during these processes because they had to so that I wouldn't get knocked over. Um, and so whenever I had a relationship like Tyler's where he literally could abandon me tomorrow, um, in order for that to not rock me and for me to walk through those fears of abandonment, I had to really work on my self-esteem so that I'm not defined by him, but I'm defined by God. And so that's ultimately the way that I'm able to show up in these relationships is knowing that even if they don't respond well to me, that I am a valuable person, period. That's good. Um, I've had to do serious work around that because I've had, I didn't know it because I covered it up with so much crap, like overachieving. But I have a really, or I have had a very low self-esteem and insecurity has been my number one struggle in life. So um, trying to work on that and have a healthy self-esteem and be secure in myself regardless of my family helps me to actually love them and show up the way that they need me to, because I don't need so much from them. That's good. Yeah. And I really like the quote in the book, the self-esteem, low self-esteem looks for safety in others. High self-esteem looks for safety in God. And uh, that's one of the quotes I thought that's a good one. But yeah, I just wanted to to put, put together um, some of what you're saying. And I want to make sure what you're saying is, yeah, or correct me, you know, if I'm wrong, but you're basically saying that in marriage, there's so much intimacy, but you couldn't handle all the intimacy. You couldn't open yourself up like you should and share your life with your family because of the hurt and trauma from your past. And so when that, when you felt that intimacy, 
and you, you needed to be in a safe place and you felt like it wasn't safe, you had no place to run. Like you had no place to go to. And so you went to something and um, you tried to find life there, did not find life there, ended up um, kind of in a wasteland. And then you are saying, no, in order to really have intimacy like God has designed, I've got to work through my struggles and come back to this place um, where I can trust my Tyler. I can trust, uh, I can love my family. I can give my family. And in order to come back there, you're saying that um, I, I ultimately, the Lord, I had to trust the Lord. I had to be redeemed uh, in that sense where my value wasn't in you know necessarily Tyler or it was in it was in the Lord where I could give myself even if um, my relationship with my husband or children wasn't perfect is that was that would you say that's correct yeah exactly and you said it great and it sounds easy so if anybody yeah that's right no that's, that's incredible <laughs> Listen, I i mean, years, years, and I'm talking about when I go to counseling, it's like all the time counseling. So, um, yeah, it's taken me a lot of work, but that is it. Yeah, because I even think in our own marriage, it's like I'm the same way. Like, a, like relationships, close relationships, because of the past and my heart being broken in past relationships, it's just, it's so difficult for me to just be so close to Hillary. And to share my life, and and over the years, it's it's getting better and better and better, and that's why I'm like, marriage is so much better than I ever thought. Like this, our relationship is so good, but there's also this sense of I'm so scared, you know, because like your heart's been broken, and even as a as a, as a man to say that, it's like, but that's the reality. There's these fears, and so yeah, I really appreciate you saying that and being being honest and. Yeah, I'm just trying to put the pieces together, you know, I'm trying to, you know. Yeah, and I, I tell you, like, very sad time whenever I was in active addiction, um, but Tyler did not leave me, and that helped so much with my abandonment issues, so mm. just, that was a beautiful thing, that was something that God made good from it for me, was that was healing, because in my self-sabotaging mind, um, I can do things to make him leave, and he didn't leave during that time, and that was powerful for our intimacy. That's good. I something that has always brought comfort to me is that there is safety within a covenant, you know. And so it's like sometimes this the person is safe because you're in the safety of a covenant, especially in marriage. But and I think that's such a big deal. Like, yeah, I know people that. They're just living together. And it's like, hey, listen, you really are in a, between a rock and a hard place. Like, if you are scared of, of intimacy and have anything that's going to be like, that's going to separate you, like, there's nothing that is going to glue you together to allow you to work, both of you to work out uh, issues on either side. Like, you can just leave. You're not married. It's just, you know, you got your car, you got your car, you own the house, or you, you know, you pay rent and you just split. And there's just nothing to glue you together like marriage when you have vowed and you've promised, you know, to to be 
be together, to give your life to one another. And so, yeah, I just, it just makes me love the marriage covenant so much more. It's just so vital to our own happiness and uh, our own joy. And so, yeah. Great. So we know we're almost out of time, but I do have a couple quick questions that I'd love to to hear you give some thought on. One of them is, um, you know, not only is there a spiritual side of what you are struggling with, what you are struggling with, but there's a real mental health struggle that's there with addiction, with depression, with anxiety. And what do you wish the church knew about helping people through mental health or, or how could believers have come alongside of you and helped you a little bit better? Um, what I wish the church would know is if someone struggles with mental health issues or addiction issues, um, they aren't less spiritual and they don't love God less because they struggle with those things. Um, and then how the church could come alongside those people better listening is big. There's a guy named Jerome Bars, and he says that if he has an hour with someone, he spends 55 minutes listening and asking questions. And then the last five minutes is him responding or giving any sort of advice. And not that we need that exact ratio, but just um, if we would listen a little bit longer or more actively before we speak into somebody's life on these issues, I think it would be more effective. Um, and then the last thing would be that a crisis situation is not a good teaching moment. So if someone is having a crisis, um, that's a good moment to love and support and encourage. And the teaching moments can come later. They don't need to come immediately in that moment. That's good. Yeah. So you're saying get the person help. Don't try to like, you know, yeah. Yeah. And then, if you know, what would you want someone that is struggling in like in the in the deep right now in their struggle? What would you tell them right now if if you were just one on one with them? Um, you have to find for me. I had to find somebody that was people that were struggling the way that I was, and that was not and that could empathize with me. And in my life at that time, there was no one around me who could empathize with me and that struggled the way that I did. I had to go work and I had to find those people. And that was really, um, really hard, but it was necessary. And so sometimes, you know, it's easy to say, like, you're not alone and it, you literally aren't alone. There's no temptation that's uncommon to man, but that, like, includes all of mankind. So there might literally not be someone in your circle of friends who can help you, but there is somebody out there that can help you and you need to find them. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Yeah, Ashley, you're, you're kind of like my hero. You know, uh, you know, just walk through the whole process. You know, I really do appreciate um, just, you know, your willingness to – um, admit that you have an addiction to step into it, to face your, um, your past, you know what I mean? And to seek redemption and healing and to be honest and, and humble and, and to put together this book and it is really cool and, uh, so thankful for you. And also, yeah, I think your husband's a hero too, you know, to walk with you and, and, um, and so, yeah, it's, uh, it's really cool. Very encouraging. Yep. Very yeah. encouraging. 
He is. He is a hero. <laughs> he likes to stay in the background, but he's he's a, a hero. That's awesome. That's cool. Is there anything else that that you think would be great for for everybody to hear? Keep listening to this podcast. That's right. Yeah, there you go. And then <laughs> lastly, if someone is trying to get a hold of you or wanting to contact you, trying to buy your book, where can they find you? Uh, you can find my book on Amazon. It's also online with Barnes & Noble if you don't like Amazon. And then if you want to email me, my author email is awoodswriting at gmail.com. awoodswriting at gmail.com. And again, the book is called Tell Me Quickly. Short lessons learned through pain and recovery. Right. And so if you're looking for it. Yeah. Well, Ashley, thank you so much for joining us this evening. And we loved having you on the show. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Reclaiming Families. Check us out at reclaimingfamilies.org where you can find our latest podcasts, blogs, news, and events. We look forward to seeing you all next time.